Uh, glad you're excited to be here this morning. Foley Mobile, glad y'all are joining us online. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I saw some of you guys are excited to be in church. Y'all laughing like some, like this is a comedy show when, when Danny was up here a second ago. Uh, I hope you bring that same type of energy uh, during a message. Um, no, look, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you just yet, my name is Jared. I'm the creative pastor here. I love saying that when I meet somebody new because they're like, what does that mean? I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, uh, no, but I'm excited. This, this series that Danny kicked off last week, and, and we call it a mini-series, but uh, I'm really passionate about what, we, what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do that, I want to do something really quick. Uh, you know how sometimes at church, like you come to church and, and you come in and you get your coffee? Not this morning. Um, <laughs> Mobile, Foley, y'all are good. Our coffee machine broke this morning. Um, but usually you get your coffee, you walk in the doors and it's all great. And you're like, I love this. This is awesome. This is awesome. And then you get your chair, you find your chair and then you sit there, you start to worship and you're like, oh, this is good. This is awesome. And then you sit down and then you watch the video and then there's a, a, a good looking person telling you about all the stuff the church is doing. Uh, you ever feel like sometimes that, that begins to just be white noise and, and you're like, I mean, I don't really know what's going on. And, but but it, it's awesome. It's great. I'll check it later. Uh, I think sometimes, and I love the way that Dallas Willard says it, he says, most Christians don't need to be informed. They need to be reminded. And so often there's so many things that you can engage in at the church, but we forget because things just get to be white, white noise. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, this, this season that we're walking into, this holiday season, it, there, there are going to be some things that can be white noise. Here's one that shouldn't be. Uh, we just finished producing this, this little book. It's an Advent Study Guide devotional, and it's for you and your family. Um, and you're going to take it and you're going to open it and there, there are going to be these challenges for you to do with your family and, and, and your friends. And it would be so easy for this to just be white noise, but can I encourage you in this season, man, engage. Allow this to, allow this to shape the next month or so of your, uh, of your life and of your family's life because I, I really do believe that if we would, the Lord would show up in a way that we might have never thought was possible. So grab these on your way out. Um, and make sure you do that. They're right in the lobby. You can just grab one, one per family, and then I promise you, you're not going to regret it. Uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into this, uh, this message this morning. We, we opened up last week talking about seasons, and, and Pastor Dan did a phenomenal job. And uh, the, the reason why this is, this is so interesting is because we really are in a transition of seasons. Now, in Alabama, that doesn't really make as much sense to us because we don't really have seasons, Right. It's like, it's like it's hot and then it's like not as hot later, right? Um, but if, the, if we did have four seasons, this would make so much more sense because the, the truth of that word, seasons, is really that, that uh, it's illustrating that something has to go in order for something to change, right? So like the only reason why a season is a season is because seasons change. Did you stay with me on that? Like something has to change in order for a season to be a season, and, and what I want to talk about this morning is what needs to change. So, something has to change in order for uh, the season to, and um, last week we kind of introduced just for a second the story of Abraham. So I want to go back there, and we're going to be in this story just about the whole uh, message. So you can open your Bible, like stay right there. We're not going to move much. So we're going to start in, in uh, Genesis chapter 22, um, verse 1 and 2, and we're talking about Abraham 
And uh, it's a story you probably knew if you grew up in church. Uh, but I think God is speaking in a different way. And maybe there's a perspective here that you haven't uh, seen before. So let's go ahead and read. We'll pick up in verse one and we'll start this story. Uh, it says this, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And then obviously uh, Abraham answers, here I am. And then God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. This is wild, right? Like we know from last week, or maybe you know from the story that uh, Isaac was Abraham's only son. And, and Isaac came to Abraham and his wife when he was a little bit older. They didn't even think it was gonna happen. And then God makes this beautiful promise that through Isaac, you're gonna have, you're gonna have descendants that you can't count. So this is the promise. Every time Abraham looks at this son, he's going, man, God is so faithful. He's so good, hallelujah. Every time he sees him. And then the Lord's like, great, I love that you love the promise, now give it back. <laughs> and then we see that the story really starts to take place here. But before we even jump into that, I want you to pay attention to something that, that oftentimes we miss uh, when we read this passage of scripture. See, when the, Bible was, uh, when the Bible was put together, you have to know that it wasn't chapters and verses and references. There were no study Bibles originally, right? The Bible was just a story, especially Genesis. It, it, it actually was uh, an oral tradition. So you literally would just tell the story. This, was, this would be Genesis. So there were no breaks in the action, uh, but there is here because we start a new chapter, but I want you to pay attention to a word uh, at the very beginning of verse one. It says, some time later. It says sometime later. That means there's something that we need to look back at in order to understand what's happening in front of us. It says sometime later. So I want us to go back to sometime later so we understand where God is taking us to. So we're, we don't have to go look at a ton. I just want you to see the very last scripture uh, in the chapter before. So let's go back to that. It's, it's in chapter 21, verse 34. So the sometime later is actually pointing back to this. It says, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Bible lesson here. If you don't know the Philistines, they're God's great enemy. Like, like it is the Thanos to God's Avengers, okay? Like they are the bad guys, okay? Um, so what we need to understand in order to frame this story is that Abraham is tested by God after a season uh, in the land of his enemies. So the season is changing with the test. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Awesome. Well, let's pray. Um, but before we do that, if you're taking notes, just a quick title uh, for today's message. Um, I'm a preacher, so I was going to name it a reason for the season, uh, but I didn't. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so it's simple. It's just a key to a season. A key to a season. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word going forward. We ask that you would connect with us and meet with us. Jesus, we need to hear from you. Um, Father, as we walk in and out of seasons, I pray that your hand and your Holy Spirit guides us. We love you so much and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, I've got a couple of kids. Um, I love my family and um, I love my kids too, uh, but parents, y'all go ahead with me. Uh, if parenting is fun, y'all go ahead and raise your hands. Show me all the liars in the room, come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It really is fun, it really is fun, but 
my kids are wild, okay? Like my kids actually, you know how you say your kids are, but my kids are really actually wild, okay? My son is four years old. As a matter of fact, like my iPad is still on Bluetooth because I'm just waiting on my, my every Sunday text from the kids department. Hey guys, Jones is having a little bit of an issue. <laughs> Y'all see me darting down, it's because I'm going to catch him. Um, no, but, but my kids are, they're, they're awesome. They're just, they're just a little bit riled up. But I, I, I think it's interesting because um, teaching toddlers is fun, right? It's, it's just, it's fun and it's funny. Uh, anybody ever get frustrated though sometimes when you have to like coach and develop and disciple your kid to do something that's actually just common sense? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you should just not do that uh, just because, right? Like, like the other day, last week, um, I was coaching my son to not walk in the street. <laughs> like I was like, okay, hey, son, don't walk in the street. And he's like, no. I'm like, listen, don't, don't do that. And he's like, well, I have to. And I was like, well, why? There's a rock. <laughs> he needed to add a rock to his rock collection so he was going to walk in the street. Uh, but it got easy. My son is a visual learner, so, so I was able to point at a smush lizard and say, son, if you walk in the street, that's you. <laughs> Healthy parenting. Enjoy. <laughs> and when he saw it, he was like, okay, cool. I got it, dad. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, that's easy, though. Like, showing him something that's so obvious, it tends to be easy, and it gets a little bit easier. Uh, but, but how many of y'all know that it gets a little bit more difficult when you have to convince your kid not to do something that, that may not necessarily be wrong, but you still need them not to do that right then, right? Like, anybody with toddlers ever have to tell your kid, not right now? <laughs> like, I, I have a high respect for people with difficult jobs, like heart surgeons, uh, uh, astronauts. Like, I respect these guys. They know astrophysics and heart surgeons open hearts for a living. Like, that's hard, um, but I feel like I can relate to them. It's like, I'm glad that you know all those hard things, but have you ever tried to tell a toddler not right now? <laughs> like, that's difficult. But as parents, what we know is that uh, when we're developing and growing our, our, our kids, yes, we want them to understand morality. Like, we need you to understand this is wrong and this is right. Don't do that. Do this. But sometimes when and where is just as important as no and don't. See, in our relationship with our kids, what we're trying to teach them is that, uh, yes, I, I need you to learn what's morally good and right, but also I'm trying to teach you obedience. As believers, as believers in our, in our relationship with Jesus, it's easy to point out what's right and what's wrong. How do I know? Because we come to church. We know that's bad. This is good. Amen. We know when to jump. We know when to raise our hands. We, need, we know when to say, that's good, pastor. That's, that's good. That's great. Amen. And we can, we can open up the word and we can see what's right and what's wrong. But oftentimes where we struggle is not in knowing what's right and what's wrong. Oftentimes we struggle as it pertains to obedience. If you're going to clap, you're going to clap for real. Somebody, somebody was like, yeah, that's solid. <laughs> if we go back in, in, in this scripture, what we see is Abraham is, is the picture of obedience. Like when we read this scripture and when we know this story, like God says, sacrifice your one and only son. And Abraham just like, okay, I'm down, God. 
I mean, I mean, elsewhere in the scripture, we see that Jacob, one of his descendants, the Bible says in order to get a, a blessing, he wrestled with God. Abraham was like, nope, I don't even need a thumb ward, like nothing. I'm just like down. Sure, here's my son. And I think, I think most believers read this passage of scripture and go, see, that's how I know it's just a story because no way, no way. I, I would have been arguing. I would have said something to God, but, but Abraham follows in perfect obedience. It's insane. It's almost like he's perfect or something. But the sometime later that I showed you originally in this passage of scripture shows us something about Abraham. It shows us that he wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, not at all. He was just practiced. See, what we see about Abraham in this passage of scripture is that this, this grand moment of faith is actually immediately following one of the greatest failures that we see in scripture. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter 22, the, the, the chapter preceding that big faith moment of Abraham sacrificing his son, there's a story of Abraham interacting with one of the people in the enemy's lands. And, and that, that, that person was Abimelech and he was a king. And let me just show you what happens here in scripture. It's in chapter 22, verse three through four. The Bible says, um, sorry, let's skip to uh, Genesis chapter 20. Verse one through two, it says this. It says, now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Jahar, sent for Sarah and took her. So he wanted to make her his wife. So essentially what happened was Abraham in, in encounters a king who intimidates him a little bit. And what does he say? This is not my wife. This is my, my, my sister. Dudes, you can relate. That's like going to the gym with your wife and you see a dude and you're like, man, I don't know about this. He's, he's really swole. And you're like, she's my sister. She's my sister. It's weird, right? Like, like this is weird. But what's happening is Abraham begins to doubt the promise that God has on his life, so he takes matters into his own hands. And then God comes to, to the king in a dream and says, hey, buddy, he was lying, okay? That's actually his wife, and before you get in trouble, just give her back. And then we pick up here in verse nine. It says, then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have, you, how have I wronged you that you've brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should have never been done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what's your reason for doing this? What did Abraham say? He said, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So in chapter 22, we, we see Abraham walking in faith, confident in the promises of God, the model Christian and then just a chapter before, we see him giving his wife up because he's scared. See, when we see instances like this in the Bible, what we need to understand is that, that these two instances are there to show us that oftentimes it's our failures that lead to God's promises in our lives. Oftentimes he has to teach us something and we stay in a season maybe a little bit longer because he's trying to show us something. So often in our relationship with God, we find ourselves in these, in these situations where we have the opportunity to follow in the way of Jesus and in the way that we've been taught and the way that we know and we have these, these opportunities to say yes to God and his plans and his promises, but we're met with a choice to choose his way or, or our way. 
See, I, 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 I think that we may make the mistake of thinking that disobedience, disobedience or, or not following how, how God designed and built us is, is equal to rebellion. Like that's what we hear. I hear that word a lot at church. It's like, that's rebellion. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a harsh word. I love it. Cool. I, yeah, just for sure. But oftentimes, oftentimes, disobedience is not found in rebellion. It's found in pride. And pride is not going the wrong way. Pride is going my way. See, see, see the, most, the, the most vicious form of disobedience is not following the wrong way. The most vicious form of disobedience, if we look back at scripture, is going my way. And like Abraham, we take matters into our own hands. And when God has said, this is what it's supposed to look like, we're like, yeah, God, I get that. But I don't see how your version, that version is going to get me to where I think you're sending me. So I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to have to go this way. See, disobedience is found when I'm in control. I don't know how uh, creative you get when you talk to God. Uh, but I get a little bit creative. That's why I'm the creative pastor. That's what I do. Um, but a pastor I trust told me one time, he was like, hey, one of the keys to intimacy with, with the Lord is to be yourself. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna try it. Um, but sometimes I get like a little too real with God. You ever feel like you get too real with God? Um, so I was talking to him the other, like two weeks ago and I was like, you know what, Lord? You know it will be tight. And he was like, son, not today. <laughs> My bad. Do you know what would be blessed? <laughs> it would be cool, God, if you like had a sovereign iPhone and not for like data and the calls and the text. Like, I don't care about that. Like, uh, I want him to have an iPhone so he could have like a, like a, like a sovereign iPhone photo app. Like, like that had my whole life in it. Because I was thinking to myself, it would be so much easier, Lord, to trust you right now if you could just show me how I would look later. You know what I mean? Like, like how much easier would it be to say no to that guy or that girl if the Lord could just like show you your new wife and your new family or your new husband and your next family, right? Like how much easier would it be to lay that job down that you know you're supposed to lay down if he could just like show you that provision was gonna be okay? Not just tell me in scripture, but like, Lord, could you just show me pictures, you know? Like it would be so much easier to follow God in the future if he could just, if he could just show me what it's supposed to look like now in the present. I felt like he, he said to me, real kind, he said, but that's just it, Jared. If I showed you your future, that's what it would be about for you. But it's not about your future, it's about your obedience. He's not trying to, he's not trying to teach you how things could get better, he's trying to make you more like Jesus. And what we have to begin to understand is that oftentimes we make this mistake of thinking that whatever it, we're holding on to in our life is worth so much more than what God is willing to give. But can I tell you this morning that what you're holding on to pales in comparison to what God is willing to give. I love this, this little insight that the writer of Hebrews gives us into the story of Abraham and Isaac. Because see, when I read the story, 
I'm like, man, this is, this is incredible. This is blind faith. He's just saying yes. But I love that Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews, gives us a little bit of credence to what's actually happening in that story. So I want us to jump forward into the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. And here's what it says. Sorry, 17 through 19. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. So we got that. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's important. But this last part is what I really want you to pay attention to. Verse 19 said, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And in so, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's when y'all really should have been clapping. Because here, look, look, you missed it. You read it too fast. You just skimmed it. What that passage of scripture is saying is that Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac in blind faith. Abraham finally learned after enough mess ups that if God promised it, he's going to do it. So even if I sacrifice the thing most dear to me, even if I give up the thing most dear to me and let it die, guess what? It's okay, why? Because the resurrected version is always better. What? So whatever it is in my life that God is asking me to give up, it's okay. Why? Because the resurrected version is always better. What, what Abraham was essentially saying was, was, okay, God, I finally trust you. You can have it. I'll obey. Why? Because even if you cause this to happen and I lose my son, I'm so locked into the promises that I know you're going to raise him from the dead because that's what you said. But in our lives, in our lives, there are things we're, we're picking out and deciding to hold on to. Like, you, you know what? I, I know God called me to follow in the way of Jesus, but, but, but not this part. Not this part. Can I tell you something? The resurrected version is always better. And I want you to continue reading in this story as we see something super important in chapter 22. Go back to verse 17 through 19. I want you to see this because I want you to see how God responds to Abraham's profession of faith when he decides to say the resurrected version is always better. Here's what God does immediately following. It's in chapter 22, verse 17. We'll start there. It says, I will, sure, I will surely bless you. This is God saying this to Abraham and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. See, that's the part that we know. Look up at the sky, Abraham. That's the part that's awesome, right? Like this is, look, look, look up at the sky. Can you count? No, that's gonna be your descendants. Look at the sand on the seashore. That's the, that's the part that we love. It's like God reaffirms his promise, but there's a couple of things you need to notice. The Bible says, if you continue reading, that the reason why God did this is through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have, come on. Because you have obeyed. We like to preach this gospel like, man, all you need is grace. You can't earn it. You can't do nothing with it. You just need grace. Yeah, you need obedience. <laughs> I'm glad you got grace, but, but you, you got to listen too, right? 
He says the promise happened because you obeyed. Pull that scripture back up. And this part you have to catch as well. After his obedience, after God reaffirms the promise, what does it say? Keep going to the next slide. It says, then Abraham returned. Wait, wait, wait. Go back to the beginning of the message. Where did he start? In the land of his enemies. And the Bible said sometime later, that means that he had spent some time in a season. I don't know where you are right now, but the question is, what season are you in? Are you in a season where things are difficult? Are you struggling? Is it hard? Is God testing you? Because sometime later or before, what you had been experiencing was, was the land of uncomfort, discomfort. But what happens after some time later in the land of my enemies, God tested, I obeyed, and then what? He left. He left the season of discomfort after his response was obedience. What's the key to, a se- to the season? Obedience. Oh, obedience is the key to a season. I love this metaphor. It's so rich, this idea of, of seasons turning and changing. And, and um, I grew up in, uh, I'm from Houston, uh, go Astros. I'm from Houston, um, but then we moved later on to, uh, to Missouri and, and it was the first time I had experienced snow and seasons. Um, and, and it was really cool. Like autumn was awesome because the colors and the trees and it was beautiful and the air was crisp and it, it just was cool, Right? Um, not like Alabama, it's just still hot. Um, but then, then the beauty and, and the, the, the serene nature of, of fall would give way to, to a bare winter. And this was interesting to me because what I noticed is that everywhere the trees would lose their leaves, the leaves would fall off, and these trees would, that were once beautiful and bright and, and, and colorful were now bare. Uh, and I thought this was really cool, and especially in regions that receive heavy snow. Um, And the truth is, there's so many different reasons why trees lose their leaves. But one really interesting reason that I thought um, on the reason why trees would lose their leaves was because during heavy snowfall, if the trees decided to disobey the laws of nature and lose their leaves, if they decided to disobey that law, what would happen is because of the weight of the snow, compounded with the weight that the leaves were carrying, the tree would actually collapse and be crushed and eventually die. It was almost as if the weight that the tree decided to continue to carry eventually caused the tree to be crushed. I wonder how many of us are carrying a weight we were never meant to be carrying. And eventually that weight is gonna cause our own destruction. I wonder how many of us are in a season that's felt like decades because we haven't learned the reason for that season, which is obedience. I wonder how many of us are still stuck because we haven't learned the lesson to lose the weight. See, the truth is the way that God teaches us to obey and and, and us learning obedience, it's not in an effort to crush us. He's trying to grow us. God asking Abraham to to sacrifice his son, 
That wasn't an act from a God who was looking at his son and going, you're just bad. I got to show you something. I got to teach you something. What God was trying to show him is that, listen, no, I've created you. I know how you're designed. Let me show you. I know this is the life you think you want, but let me show you the life you were always supposed to have. Obedience. This is what God is trying to, to show us. And maybe you're, maybe you're saying to yourself right now, I've heard this message before. I've been to church and they told me to obey, but like obedience to what? Seriously, like, like, like obedience to what? How in the world can I know what God wants me to do? Because, because he's not speaking to me the same way Abraham got spoke to. Like it, it sounded like the Lord was just showing up saying, this is what you gotta do. The Lord's not speaking to me like that. I haven't heard from God in years, if ever. So obedience to what? How in the world am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? Well, Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question isn't, how do I know what God wants me to do? Maybe the question is, where does God want me to start? Because for some of us, we're beginning to, to realize that, that we're missing the boat. And, and for some reason, I can't really connect the dots on what God is saying. Well, we'll start in scripture. Because ultimately, what God is trying to teach you is that it's the word that begins to teach you how to obey. When we, follow, when we follow the word of God, then we begin to, to line up our lives and it begins to look like his. So, so maybe it's not how in the world do I know, maybe it's where in the world do I start? Well, start by opening your Bible and beginning to figure out, and what does God say? I love what it says in John 14, verse 15. We're bringing it all the way back to Jesus. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will do what? You'll obey me. That's just scripture. And what are the commandments of Jesus? Well, we can dive deeper and have this conversation a little bit more, but let me just show you just off a quick thought, a couple of things that Jesus says when it comes to obeying him. Uh, his first call to the disciples in Matthew chapter four, what does he say? He says, follow me. Follow me. Anybody grow up? Fishers of men. Come on. He says, follow me. And then what does he say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25? Lose your, lose your life and then come find mine. What does he say in John chapter 12, verse 26? If anybody wants to serve me, he must follow me. What is obedience? The point I'm making is that we could get really spiritual and talk about obedience it's like we need to close our eyes and listen for the whisper of a secret revelation. And maybe God does need to speak to you in that way. Maybe there is somebody you need to hand a $100 bill. Maybe there, there is somebody that you need to bless. Maybe there is, like, like, I don't know what season you find yourself in. Maybe, maybe that is the thing that you need to do. Maybe that's the connection that you need to have. But that's not the obedience the word is talking about. See, the obedience that the word is talking about is following in the way of Jesus. See, we're stuck in the season that we're in right now, not because God needs to whisper and to tell us a specific thing. But when I look at the church, you know what I see? I see a lot of people that believe in Jesus but don't follow his way. The question isn't, what is God speaking? The question is, does your life look like the life of Jesus? Have you restructured your life to look like the Jesus way? Or do you just believe in Jesus 
but your life and your family look just like the folks you know at the ball field. I always had this thought, like how in the world can we witness to somebody when we're so messed up on the inside and God hasn't really changed and we haven't really done much on the inside and we're like, well, I got to witness to folks. Well, now you're just telling them about what you know instead about how you live. The obedience that Jesus is talking about is saying, have you begun to adopt my Have you changed everything and restructured your life around the way of Jesus? Because listen, we're too big of a church. We're too big of a religion to be this ineffective if all of us were disciples of Jesus. Obedience. Maybe the season we're all in because we haven't begun to adopt the way of Jesus. <laughs> I talk to folks all the time. Everybody's so scared right now. It's like, I'm scared for my kids. I'm really scared for, for their kids. I don't know what in the world is happening to our country. I don't know what in the world is happening to our world. It's getting more evil by the day, by the minute. Everybody's so scared and terrified about our government and this and that. But the Bible says that Jesus came to bring hope. So if we were living the way of Jesus, why in the world would we need to be scared? Wouldn't we be hope personified? Maybe the season our country is in It's because our people won't live like Jesus lived. Maybe the season that we find our families in We're here because we want to live like us and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top. Do we really want to change everything? We want to just keep coming to church. My prayer is for, I don't care about the nation. I don't keep it. My prayer is for church-wide revival. Because listen, look around. There's 800 some odd people in here in Mobile. There's even more, hundreds more. In Foley, there's even more. Online, there's even more. Man, you're telling me we couldn't change our city with a, with a few people that live the way of Jesus? I just can't get with that. God is asking for repentance and for his people to turn back to the Jesus way not the evangelical church way, not the Baptist way, not the Catholic. He's asking us to turn to the Jesus way. Can I pray for you? Father, we love you. We're so passionate about the gospel and we ask that as we take steps towards knowing you. God, would you just reveal the next steps we need to make to obey, not not to a specific thing or a moment or or even just a a word, but God, could could we begin to learn obedience to the Jesus way? And I believe, Lord, that as, as we do this, you'll begin to change us and rearrange our lives to look a whole lot more like yours. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name and everybody said, Amen.